Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. In Olympia, Washington, I'm Andrea Ballard. And in London, I'm Stefan Cohn. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, happy birthday to us. It's our official one-year anniversary, and we've got a very special episode to help us celebrate. Stefan and I will both share our favorite birthday cakes, Hint, there's lots of chocolate ahead, and we'll review Mary Berry's cheesecake from last week. We'll also see which recipe we baked up during our first year on air that will earn the highly coveted first year blue ribbon. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, are you a follower of your horoscope? Not regularly, but I love to check it out. I love to believe it when it's the good horoscope, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in honor of our birthday month, uh, preheaters, you know that this is our birthday month. Andrea and I both have birthdays. We also are celebrating our first year on air. And this, although we're celebrating all month, this episode is actually episode 52, so 52 weeks in the year. And although we've had few bonus episodes along the way. This is kind of the actual, actual birthday. So I thought it would be appropriate to read some horoscopes. And Andrea, you have a birthday in the first part of November, making you a Scorpio. And this baking horoscope comes courtesy of one of my favorite UK magazines called Women and Home. Wait, wait, wait. Baking horoscope? Correct. How could I let an opportunity for a baking (laughs) horoscope pass the preheaters by? How did I not know that this existed? I'm suddenly much more excited. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so see if if this, let's let's see if this sounds like, like, um, like you. Okay, here we go. Scorpio. Their passion and resourcefulness is legendary. And if you want a snapshot of Scorpio in the kitchen, think Gordon Ramsay. They can take or leave alcohol, but for the purposes of sensory exploration, they usually take it. Celestial superfoods. This sign rules orchards, vineyards, and anything caught deep in the ocean, as well as things grown in dark, damp places such as mushrooms, truffles, and root vegetables. They tend to prefer fish to meat. What to do in the Scorpio kitchen? For a Scorpio get-together to pass without incident, keep a low profile, and insist on doing the washing up. Andrea? Thoughts? Okay, this is <laughs> shockingly accurate. I'm, I'm literally jaw dropping. The only piece of that that did not ring true was the liking fish more than meat. Um, okay. I'm definitely more of a carnivore. And in fact, we talk in our family about how whenever we actually cook fish, we love it. I mean, we'll have Mm -hmm. salmon or um, halibut or other things. And we always, whenever we make it, we're like, oh my gosh, that was so good. Why don't we have fish more often? But for some reason, none of us in our family are ever in the mood for fish. So no Mm -hmm. one ever says like, hey, could you make some salmon tonight? And even if I've plotted out my week ahead, I don't, and I have it on my menu, when that day comes around, I'm like, ugh, fish. So um, that's really interesting. Everything else in it is 100% accurate. Um, In fact, last night, I had my very first 
oyster mushroom that I grew myself. So I will post a picture of that. So I love foraging. I love mushrooms. I love truffles. I love alcohol. Um, you love root vegetables. You've I love. I mean, roasting. beets, parsnips, turnips. Love all of that. And a hundred percent accurate on the stay out of my way in the kitchen and then clean up afterwards. <laughs> I mean, that, like, I would maybe oh perhaps gosh. like to embroider that on a sampler where I want to embroider and place it in my kitchen. <laughs> because when people come over for dinner, they want to help. And I love that they want to help. And I, I get to, if you're kind of standing around, you're watching someone else do all the work, it's sort of like, well, let me do something. But actually, I love kind of doing everything. And then I know that once I sit down and have dinner, all my work is done. And I would, I would prefer you to save your helping to uh, pick up my dirty dishes and load my dishwasher. Okay, so the cross stitch says, um, "What again? Get out of my way and then clean up." Yes, I think that would be it. <laughs> so, what is yours? Okay, okay. Do you gift have idea? Okay, okay. So here's me. So okay. I am a Sagittarius because my birthday is in late November, and here we go. You tell me what you think. Sagittarians have a taste for the expensive and the exotic and delight in foods from different parts of the world. Celestial superfoods. It's all about taste. Especially popular is pheasant, lamb, turbot, tuna, and all fruits and seeds, particularly sesame seeds and almonds. What to do in the Sagittarius kitchen? You'll have a good time with Sagittarians, the fun bunnies of the Zodiac. (laughs) So... I'm just reading fun bunnies. So bring some bubbles and laugh no matter how many times you've heard the same story. Okay, well, some of that rings true for me in terms of I when I think of you, I definitely think of the bottle of champagne in the fridge. So that very right. first statement about the expensive taste and the bubbles, I thought, oh, yeah, that's Stefan. Um, what about the rest of it? I don't know. I don't think it says as much of a slam dunk as yours was for you. So I do love exotic foods, or at least for trying them. Mm-hmm. I do love foods from all around the world. Mm-hmm. That's been a wonderful part of living here. I don't know about those popular foods. I've had pheasant. I've had lamb. Turbot is a fish, I think. I don't I don't know that I've had that. Tuna, I can take or leave. I do love all fruits. Fruits and seeds, though, I guess. Yeah, the seeds say really like, oh, threw me. I love me. seeds. No. I mean, <laughs> You don't. I guess I do, but you don't strike me as being in touch with your inner squirrel. I mean, I I don't see you as a seedy person. I, yeah. I I didn't even recognize some of those. Yeah, I didn't even know what turbot was. So that one yeah. might be a little bit off. I think it's. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do. You know, if you want to call me a fun bunny, I won't be offended. And I hope that when you do come over to my house, that we do have bubbles and laughs. That sounds great. So maybe I'll just my cross stitch is just going to say bubbles and laughs. Yeah, and I'm thinking maybe. <laughs> Be an apron with fun bunny on it. The <laughs> necessity for your kitchen. That sounds great. So we could maybe get that in just in time for Christmas. Ugh. So some pers- personalized gifts. So oh, all right. Well, thanks to Woman and Home. And so those, uh, there's actually a book, Andrea. It's called The Zodiac Cooks, and her name is Penny Thornton. Uh, thank uh, you, Penny. So I will be looking Penny. up Penny um, for forthwith. Forthwith. <laughs> I don't think that's a word. Very good. Right away. Okay. Well, here is my book recommendation for you. And um, have you ever heard of a book by Sam Sifton? He is a former New York Times food critic. And it's called Thanksgiving, How to Cook It Well. 
I have not. That oh. sounds like a great book. Okay, great. Well, I thought that since I'm here in the States and in the mm. full-on throes of Thanksgiving and really can't avoid it, even if I tried, that you being in London might be feeling a touch nostalgic for that um, Thanksgiving feeling. And this book is so much fun. I picked it up, I think... The, two years ago. And one thing I love about him is just the way that he writes. And so he has in his introduction a whole section about how at Thanksgiving there should be no appetizers and no salad. And I'll just give you a little taste of his writing here when he was talking about the salad so you can see what his style is like. Salad? No. A salad is a perfect accompaniment to many meals, a hit of astringency that can improve some dinners hugely. Not this one. You can have your salad tomorrow. Yeah, I'm down with Sam on this. We have this debate literally every year Mm -hmm. because it always feels like we should have some kind of fresh vegetable. It just feels like we should. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got the Mm -hmm. potatoes and we've got the green beans and all of these other things. But Mm -hmm. he's right. You know what? I eat a salad like almost every other day of the year. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And that's okay. his comment on on appetizers, too, which I know my mother-in-law greatly appreciates. She actually calls appetizers appetite suppressants, and she is <laughs> she is violently against them any time of year, but I would imagine especially on Thanksgiving. And he just has this whole funny section about how on this day of the year, appetizers only take up necessary room in your stomach, and they're just absolutely um, forbidden on his Thanksgiving table. So that just All cracked right. me up. <laughs> Well, and everyone must love his meal that much more because when you come to a meal so hungry, you're like, oh, this is the best I've ever had. And you're yeah, starving. Nicely played, yes. Sam. So, so yeah. Thanksgiving, How to Cook It Well by Sam Sifton. I highly recommend. It's it's actually really good reading. And, of course, you'll not be surprised to know there's also a, a ton of recipes in it. So those are fun, too. That's awesome. Yeah, we're doing Thanksgiving a little later in the month simply because – Thanksgiving here is not a national holiday, so people will be going to work and to school as per usual. And it did it just seemed like a little too much to take on on what's otherwise mm-hmm. a normal a normal day. So we're doing it a little bit later in the month with some other expats and I'm still on the hunt for some kind of crucial uh, to me, Thanksgiving style ingredients, I was very relieved to find jellied cranberry sauce, which I am the only person who likes it, but it would not be Thanksgiving without jellied cranberry sauce for me. So so we're talking about the success. kind that um, squeezes out of the can and then has the ridges from the can as it yes, lies there. Yeah, of course the we are. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Excellent. And I get to eat the whole can all by myself. <laughs> well, maybe you can just get some mini marshmallows while you're at it and plop those on top of your sweet potato mm. casserole and call it a day. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Such a great American holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's going to be good. Well, thank you for that book, Rex. Sure. Well, moving on to another cake in our month of celebrations, we baked up Mary Berry's American-style cheesecake this week. And Andrea, this, as you know, uh, another entry into my kind of frustration with finding a block-style cream cheese here. It just really doesn't exist. And so this recipe was chosen because it specifically doesn't call for that type of cream cheese, Mm -hmm. but more of the what we would in the states call like a whipped cream cheese or in the cream cheese that's sold in a tub yeah and so that's i was able to find that with with no problem at all uh this was a cheesecake with a fairly basic crust you used a chocolate digestive biscuit a digestive biscuit is like a graham cracker with a thin coating of chocolate you blitzed those up with some butter put them in the bottom of your springform pan and it really did just cover the bottom and i'll get back to that in a minute 
Uh, and then the one uh, thing about the ingredients, Andrea, that was a little different to me is, uh, you know, you have your cream cheese, you have your eggs, but Mary also has you whip some heavy cream kind of lightly mm-hmm. and then fold that in. I've never done that in a cheesecake. Have Have you experienced folding in the cream? No. Mm-mm. That was new to me as well. And I wonder, you know, she calls this recipe her American baked cheesecake. And I wondered what, what made it American? Is it that she thinks that's how cheesecakes are done in, in America, that they put the heavy whipping cream in the filling? I don't know. I, I found it fascinating. There was no sort of intro where she explained why it was the American cheesecake. I think because it's baked. And I think recently on our Facebook page, Natalie, who's from the UK, had mentioned, she said, I've only ever done a kind of uh, filling where you would just put it into the a no-bake filling, essentially. Oh. And so I think what the other cheesecakes do, and, and partly I'm, I'm guessing this is because, again, they don't have that very kind of stiffer cream cheese, they'll do a cream cheese with like a gelatin or something oh. along that nature to kind of firm it up. Okay. But then there's no baking required. So I, th- I think uh, that that is what she means because you, you do bake it. Um, so yes, you, you put it into the oven and you bake it. Mine was really, really runny. I, so runny that I was afraid it was going to leak out of the pan. So I put a cookie sheet on the rack underneath mine. It, that didn't end up happening. I didn't have a problem, but I was worried about the consistency, absolutely. I did not have that problem, but I used just the regular block style cream cheese. Oh, you're so lucky. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did soften it and give it a good whipping. So I tried to to make it more like what you might be experiencing, but. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. that. Yeah. Um, at any rate, you, you cook it. Um, there's a part of this recipe that didn't make sense to me, Andrea, so let me know what you did here. I'm going to read from the final instruction, uh, number step number five. Um, bake in the preheated oven for about 60 minutes or until the cheesecake becomes puffy around the edges but is still very soft in the center. Remove from the oven to cool. When cool, remove from the oven and place in the fridge and chill well. Mm. Yeah, that's your sharp editorial eye. I, my my brain didn't even process that. That's got to be just a typo. I mean, she must. It must have meant when cool, removed from the refrigerator and place. Oh, but then she says and place in the fridge. Uh huh. So I did a little research on other baked cheesecakes, and there is a kind of subset of cheesecakes where you you would turn the oven off but leave it in there. And some people think that helps with not developing the crack in the middle of a cheesecake if you kind of let it cool down along with the oven. So I thought perhaps that's what was going on here. So that's what I did. I left it, I turned the oven off and left it in the oven for about an hour. And then I took it out, cooled it down completely, and then put it in the fridge. And it definitely wasn't overbaked. Okay. It was, um, it had a really nice texture. Again, I would not call this what I believe to be an American-style cheesecake. It was just still too soft for me. But it was very rich. You top uh, the cooked cheesecake with a sour cream topping, which was lovely. Mm -hmm. I then couldn't find any fresh berries or fruit that I was really wild about. Mm -hmm. So I topped mine with a raspberry rose jam from a bakery I like called Gales. And that was was lovely. I thought it was a beautiful color and it tasted really nice. I thought this got a little better once it sat in the fridge for a day. You know how I love my cold mm-hmm. cakes. The crust bothered me. I like a crust to climb up the sides a little bit more than just beyond the bottom. And I didn't think the biscuit choice was a good one because it uh, it was a chocolate biscuit, but I couldn't taste the chocolate. So I would have preferred something a little 
oatier, a little more dense, and uh, I thought that would have made a, a heartier crust. Um, so, so yeah, some kind of hits or misses there. Um, a good texture, a fun experiment. I'm not sure this is going to take the place of a classic kind of New York style American mm-hmm. cheesecake for me. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, and I'm not worried about uh, Mary Berry needing our ringing endorsement for her success. <laughs> um, I had several issues with this um, dessert. So first of all, I do not own a 20 centimeter slash 8 inch push pan. I love the word push pan instead of springform pan, by the way. And um, my springform pan is about 12 inches. Now, I didn't um, realize this until I went to put in the uh, crumb and butter (laughs) base. And uh, there were just huge gaping holes. And then I went back and looked at the recipe and I was like, oh, she made this for an 8-inch and I have a 12-inch. So I was able to double up on the base ingredients. Now, I did not use chocolate digestive biscuits. I did find them, but right next to them were ginger thins. And I just thought, this cheesecake filling is just, you know, sugar and vanilla and cream. And I just thought ginger would taste so good with that. So I love a ginger biscuit crust. Oh, smart, smart choice. Yeah. So, and I, you know, I normally love chocolate, but I just felt like, nah, I don't think chocolate with the plain filling is going to do it for me. So I did the ginger crust. So I did have to double up on that. Um, But then, you know, what should have then occurred to me is, wow, I'm going to have the same issue with the filling. And so um, I did not have the problem of it being too runny, I think, because I had the block style cream cheese. But what what I did have the problem of is it just wasn't very thick. I mean, it was maybe like half an inch to three quarters of an inch, you know, um, because, you know, I had the 12 inch pan. So um, it, it, I didn't even notice that uh, thing that you're talking about, about removing from the oven and then, you know, turning the heat off and let it cool. So I pulled it out of the oven at about 60 minutes. It didn't have any cracks in it. So I was super excited about that. And then I, I let it cool and then I placed it the, in the fridge overnight to chill. I did have some really good mixed berries. And at, at night when I placed it in the fridge to chill, I had some fresh blackberries and fresh raspberries. And I took those and sort of smushed them up together with a little bit of sugar, and I let those sit overnight. So I made kind of a Mm -hmm. runny mixed berry topping. And then when I placed it on top, I also did a few of the fresh berries as well. And I thought that was really pretty and turned out good. Um, It just wasn't very majestic because it was more like the base layer was almost about the same as the um, cream cheese layer. And that, you know, that didn't look very good. But otherwise, um, it was okay. My main takeaway on this one was it was plain. Uh, Mm -hmm. It just didn't really sing to me. And it was so funny because shortly after that, Natalie had posted the recipe saying, is this the one? And when I looked at it, I was like, no, this isn't the one. But it's very similar. But the difference was in the one that she posted, there was lemon in the filling. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, Mm -hmm. I wish I had done that because I just felt like it needed a little something extra. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, we're going to talk about our baking resolutions in a January episode, and I think letting go of my cream cheese might be one of them. Yeah, I think so. so. I think so. <laughs> yep, yep. I'll just have to really enjoy that when I come back and visit the States. But yeah. um, at any rate, maybe you had a different experience or um, have other feelings about this. This was Mary Berry's American-style um, cheesecake, and we have links on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as on our Facebook and Pinterest pages. So let us know 
Um, or if you have other favorite cheesecake recipes, we'd love to see those also. Mm. And moving on, um, sticking with cakes, but moving on to birthday cakes, I was lucky enough to be able to taste your delicious favorite birthday cake. So Stefan, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Well, so for this birthday episode, um, we wanted to talk about just our two favorite birthday cakes, kind of of all time. When someone says, what birthday cake do you want? Here's how we answer. So yes, I was really pleased to make that for you so we could celebrate a little bit early when you came to, to London to visit me in October. And my favorite birthday cake is a chocolate stout cake that I don't have the exact date, but I'm going to put it at about 1998 from Bon Appetit magazine. It's available now on Epicurious.com. And it is a very rich, very spectacular chocolate cake. I love it because it's a show-stopping cake. It's a three-layer chocolate cake. It includes two cups of Guinness Stout, a pound of butter. <laughs> Maybe you don't want to know this, Andrea. <laughs> oh, no. I had my suspicions after trying it. A cup and a half of a cocoa powder, four cups of flour, four cups of sugar, four large eggs, and one and a third cups of sour cream, and I haven't even started on the frosting yet. So it is very rich. Despite all of that, it's really not complicated. It's kind of a, a put your wet and your dry and mix them together, and it's uh, then topped with a chocolate ganache, which is essentially just uh, heavy cream and some bittersweet or semi-sweet chocolate. I always go with bittersweet because I think the cake is really sweet otherwise, and I don't – I just like the contrast. Yeah. More bitter, not more sweet. I also sometimes have the icing, and, and I had done that um, for the cake I made for you, Andrea. Mm. And if you do the whole recipe of icing, you are left with about an inch thick icing, which is great. Don't get me wrong. But the cake's already really, really rich, yeah. so I just like to shrink it a little bit. That's so, interesting because I would not have guessed that you halved the icing and what you were serving to us. I thought it had yes. a good a good amount of icing, and I love yes. icing and frosting. So I think it yeah, does. I think, so, I think that was a good call. Yeah, it's it's incredibly moist. It's incredibly rich. It is divine, as I love to eat a cake straight out of the fridge, really cold with a glass of milk. In fact, I think I said to you, you're going to want milk. And you were like, no, thank you. And then about two bites in, you're like, can I have that glass of milk? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and the Guinness just gives it just a wonderful malty, yeasty flavor. And it is it is my favorite, favorite birthday cake. So I know I was so glad I got to, I got to make that for you and you got to taste it. Yeah. So. And yours comes from Smitten Kitchen. Is that correct? That is. So um, Deb Perlman released a new cookbook called Smitten Kitchen Every Day, and it came out in October. And um, I was looking through the dessert section first, of course, no big surprise. And what she has is called a party cake builder. And I am mm. so in love with this idea. I, maybe it existed before and I just didn't know about it, but I just think it's the smartest way to think about baking. So okay. she has four different cake recipes. There's a spice, a coconut, a chocolate, and a vanilla. Mm -hmm. And then she has four different frosting recipes. There's a chocolate, a vanilla, a cream cheese, and a coconut. Okay. And the recipe itself, the base recipe of one cake and one frosting, would make either one one-layer 8 by 8 sheet pan cake with frosting or mm -hmm. uh, one 9-inch round cake with frosting or 12 cupcakes. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And then she starts building from that. So if you want a double a nine inch layer cake you need one of this and two of that or if you want a triple eight inch cake you need you know two of these and three of those and you can mix and match of course so you could do you know a spice cake with vanilla frosting or you could do a coconut cake with coconut frosting or a vanilla cake with chocolate frosting and I just I just love this whole concept. I love this idea. I love her recipes um, so I do not have a single cake to mention for our favorite birthday <laughs> cakes because it's I, I I you know Stefan I have struggled and up until the last minute I think it just said insert Andrea's fa- favorite cake here on our mm. show sheets mm. because mm-hmm. I was like mm-hmm. I can't pick just one mm-hmm. cake no my childhood cake memory my mom always made my cakes I'll have to ask her if it was from a box or from scratch I have a feeling it was from scratch but I, I don't know for that for sure and they were always round nine-inch, two-layer cakes. I think they were either yellow with chocolate frosting or white with chocolate frosting or the reverse of that, you know, a chocolate cake with white Mm -hmm. frosting. I don't ever remember getting chocolate on chocolate as a child. That was probably just too much. Um, but they were simple. They they just evoke my entire childhood to me. And uh, my mom's such a sweetheart. She's left-handed. And so her writing on top of the cake, I mean, she thinks her handwriting is horrible. But, you know, it just was – it was just so cute. You know, I could always – let's just put it this way. I could spot my mom's cake from 100 miles anywhere. Oh. Right? It just has this distinctive look. And Party Cake Builder is the first time that I was like, this is recreating my childhood cake. It's just the simple oh. cake with the simple frosting, you know? Yes. So. Yes. And I I really like how she gives you the variations because often, I, like, I have a go-to chocolate cake and a go-to yellow cake for a more, I would say, like, an everyday type of cake if I need something. And and I had to figure out how to cook those in other ways myself. So how do I make these into cupcake or how do I make these into a sheet cake? And it's worth a lot to not have to do that experimenting, but because you know trial and error doesn't always work, and um, so I really like that she gives you all of those and mix and match as well. So yeah, yeah, that sounds yeah. Really it's great. it's very very helpful. So I'm super excited to try it and um, make what perhaps might become my favorite birthday cake. I don't know yet, <laughs> right? Well, meant to many more birthday cakes ahead. That that's for sure. Yes. Well, Andrea, we are. Now, at that very exciting uh, portion of our of our first year anniversary episode, where we are going to take a look back and award our first year blue ribbon to one dessert. And, you know, we do this, so listeners, you probably have caught on to our pattern now, but we release our shows every Monday. And if the month happens to have five Mondays, then we do a bonus episode and we'll talk about our favorite recipe from the month. And so now we are going to talk about our favorite recipe from the year. And Andrea, how difficult was this for you to narrow down? Super easy to pick my favorite and super easy oh. to pick my least favorite as well. Oh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. okay. Well, I had maybe a little trickier time. Mm. Um, I have about 12 here that oh. I love d- dearly. And um, so... I'm just going to run them down in chronological order. So, of course, starting with the pumpkin bunt with cinnamon cream cheese icing from episode two. Mm-hmm. How could we forget happy people fudge from episode six? Yeah. Baklava, episode 11. Mm-hmm. Raspberry flummery, our very historic 
dessert from episode 12 and a half. Yeah. Chocolate chess pie, episode 16. Mm-hmm. Jalapeno cheddar scones from our Breakfast Bakes month of April, episode 23. Mm. Triple air Boston cream pie. I know I'm getting hungry. Episode 27. <laughs> All the ice creams in June. If you want to just go listen back to one month, go listen to June because we were just packing on the pounds with our roasted mm-hmm. strawberry buttermilk ice cream, our chocolate agave ice cream, our spicy peanut butter ice cream. Those are episodes 30, 31, and 32. Our blueberry banana cake from episode 41 and our lemon drizzle from episode 45. Andrea, it was so hard to win out this stamp. But, okay, so I, I wonder, should we do favorites or should we do, I don't know, I feel so tense. <laughs> well, how about I give you my list as well um, because okay, there's okay. definitely some similarities. And, okay, then, very good. and then we can each say um, our favorites. So, yes, okay. in chronological order, um, and okay. we have some similarities here. So episode six, Happy People Fudge. Episode 16, The Chocolate Chess Pie. Episode 21, Creme Brulee. Episode 30, The Roasted Strawberry Buttermilk Ice Cream. And then in a a slew of the 40s, episode 43, (laughs) The Chocolate Oatmeal Peanut Butter Bars. 44, The Sugar Cookie Bars. And 45, The Lemon Drizzle. Right? I mean... Mm -hmm. um, Okay, so now maybe I'll give you a little hint and then see if you could you could guess. Okay, my favorite is a heritage dessert. I have a guess. Okay, should we say it at the same time? My favorite recipe is All right, flummery. Oh, chocolate chest pie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it that we both chose heritage recipes because as I'm looking back through all of them, I thought, you know, one thing we're really trying to do on this show is to talk about desserts that maybe people don't know about or, you know, used to be popular and we want to bring back. And that's, I love, Flummery was definitely in my top five also. I loved it. Wait a minute. I have to stop you. I thought I was guessing yours. So I was guessing Flummery. Oh, no. I haven't said mine yet. (laughs) Because when you said it was a heritage recipe and I knew how much you liked that flummery, I, I thought it was flummery. So, oh, okay. So it. yours okay. was chocolate chess pie. Chocolate chess pie. You know, and so it was a heritage recipe. It was super easy. I have made it multiple times. I'm going to make it again at for our kind of late Thanksgiving. Um, I thought it was a good entry point recipe because you could make it if you're a novice baker. It's a good entry point to pie. It's great for kids. So that's that's the one for me out of all just this year's worth of fabulous recipes that I'll be returning to again and again. Well, so, okay. Okay. Right. Well, here's the funny thing about that is the way that I picked my favorites was not just what I liked so much, but the ones mm-hmm. that I've made over and over again. Yes. Because to yes. me, a favorite is not just about flavor. It's about... It's in. It's got stuff that's in the house. I'm able to whip it out quickly. I'm getting generally good feedback from the people who are sharing it. So yes. had you asked me any time prior to mm, maybe October, chocolate chess pie would have been my number one on my list. I have made it so many times. When people don't know what it is, I tell them it's brownie pie. I yes, have made right. it for um, – there's a group that um, purchases pies at an auction every year. I made it for them, and they just raved about it. So it wasn't until the, <gasps> the lemon drizzle came oh along. Oh, my gosh! Yay! Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. Andrew. I think there's a couple things that the reason lemon drizzle edged out the chocolate chest pie for me. So number one mm-hmm. is I had never had a drizzle cake. I had never right. had it and I had never heard of it. So right. I am, you know, as you know from my horoscope, I love new. I, I love different. Mm-hmm. So it just immediately grabbed me that here was this new way to take something that's actually very familiar to me, kind of like a pound cake and a loaf cake and and make it different. Um, I have made it in the regular loaf pan size, and that is fabulous. I have made it in the mini size for bake sales or for um, kids' parties and that sort of thing. And I just love it in every incarnation. And it's also good any time of day. It's good at breakfast. It's good at lunch. It's good at dinner. It's good hot out of the oven. It's good room temperature. I mean, I just can't say enough about the lemon drizzle. I'm obsessed with it. I am. I am. Um, also, it does this other thing for me, which is so fabulous. And I know I've mentioned this before that my mother-in-law has a lemon tree, so I often have yes. this huge, enormous amount of lemons that I need to use. And so when I get home uh, from her house, what I'll do is I'll squeeze all the juice out of all my lemons and freeze that in small containers. And then now I know I can then zest and save the zest. So I also yep. always have lemon juice and lemon zest. But update, tragedy, I have heard, <laughs> I've heard rumor, my husband told me this, I have not confirmed it yet. My husband told me he thinks my mother-in-law's lemon tree did not fruit this year. <gasps> I know. What? Have you ever heard of that? There where it, it does like it it just in one year, whole year it just doesn't make any lemons? I haven't, but you know the the most experience I've had with a lemon tree was trying to grow one in Seattle, which um, <laughs> just to save everyone the trouble, it doesn't work. So <laughs> right next to your olive tree and your eucalyptus? Uh, yeah. <laughs> My bougainvillea, yeah, right. like um, not gonna work. So, nope. oh, that is though. That's a horrible shame if that's true. I hope so, the tree's okay. Yeah, maybe maybe they just go through the kind of like little dormancy. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping it's just a one year thing. And I mean, let's be honest, it's not difficult to get lemons any time of year. It was just so much fun using the ones that yeah. I knew were yeah, you yeah. know off of their tree yeah, in their yeah. backyard. So, yeah, that's my um, blue ribbon for the year: the lemon drizzle and on my list to do is to make other drizzles. I want to make an orange Mm -hmm. drizzle. I want to make a grapefruit drizzle. I want to make a lime drizzle, but I keep making the lemon one. I just can't stop. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, and it just kind of warms my heart because it's a British dessert. And so, oh, it makes me happy to think of you enjoying it and making it. So I do. I do. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's really interesting, too, that we both picked these fairly kind of homespun desserts. You know, they're two of our easier. They're uh, just real crowd pleasers. And um, that that makes me happy, too. So um, we're home bakers. We're not. We are. We're not fancy pants bakers. bakers. We're home bakers. So that makes sense. That's so much fun. So remember, listeners, that um, you can find all of our recipes, all of our archives from the past year on preheatedpodcast.com. And the links to those recipes are also on Pinterest by month. So you could uh, check the month that the episode aired and look there also. So, um, you know, we still love to hear what you're really enjoying and um, all of that. So please continue to let us know. Yes, please. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get to the dishes. Next week, we'll review our birthday cakes and talk about some memorable birthday treats we didn't make. We'll also have a short interview with international dessert guru, another title to aspire to, Kate Brubaker. 
As we wrap up our birthday month and officially start our second season, we thank each and every one of you for listening. Whether you've been with us from the start or are new to the show, this has truly been a year of learning and laughs, and having you all join us in the kitchen has meant the world to us. We have so much more to talk about, and we can't wait for all the deliciousness in store. And if you really want to get us a gift, we'd love it if you told a friend about our show and helped them subscribe. Thanks, as always, to Anne-Marie Russell for providing our theme music. You can find Anne-Marie on Amazon and iTunes and her website, annemarierussell.com. Remember, you can find us on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and subscribe to our show on Apple and Google Podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.